we are in the middle of this series that we've titled Worthy. And today I'd like to start showing you a symbol to see if you know what this is about. Have you seen that symbol before? Perhaps you've seen it on the dashboard of your vehicle. Perhaps you chose to ignore it. This is a universal symbol for warning. One of the things that, that we have to be aware of is that a warning is not a bad thing. In fact, it is a great thing. One of the things about warnings that I learned over the past year was the warnings when there's a fire near a home. The way that the warning works is that it's divided in three stages. The first stage is that when a fire begins near your home, the fire department issues a stage one warning. And that means that you have to be aware that there is a fire near your home. And so you should be thinking about what things to pack. The second phase, the second stage of a warning is related to an evacuation notice. And that means that at this point, you have to be thinking about the six P's. What are the six P's, you may ask? Are you asking? Well, let me tell you now that you're asking. The first P is to plan. To plan where to go in the moment of your evacuation. The second P is your personal items need to be packed. The third P is your, your prescriptions need to be in that luggage that you're taking, along with your photographs and your pets and also your personal important papers. Those are the six Ps. But that does not mean that you have to leave at that moment. The moment when you have to leave is when the third phase of the warning is issued. And that means that people are told and invited by safety personnel to leave their homes. However, even after the three, the three phases have been issued, people choose to ignore the warnings and to remain in their homes. And that is a sad event when we hear in the news that people died in the fire. But the reality is that they chose to ignore the warnings. As we go through the realities of the seals that we've been discovering in the book of Revelation, as you open your notes in, in chapter 6 of Revelation, verse 7, we have to think of John as he sees his vision. And what John actually saw when he faces the message of the four horse is that he saw something like this. Warning. The four sealed is open. Because let's take a look at it, what he says. Revelation chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. When the Lamb opened the four seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures say, Come. And up to that point, it, it, it's nice. It, it, it's good. Hey, come. I want to show you something. And all of us, when we hear, come, let me show you something, we're like, yeah. Right? We like that. We like that. But verse 8 gets a little grim because it says, I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over the fourth of the earth to kill by sword, 
famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. This is not one of those eggs that we have on a magnet or a refrigerator. However, it is a text that gives us a warning of the reality of the people of God and their experience in these times. As we go in and revisit the first four seals, we might remember that the first rider, the first seal, represents a rider that is what color? White. And this white horse represents the message of the gospel being preached. Then the second rider, what color was it? Was fiery red. And, and, and this fiery red represents opposition. Those who chose to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then we went to the third rider. And what color was that? Last week, black. And some of you are like, yeah, really? Black. And this black rider represented a famine of the word of God. And as you can see, there is a progression that is occurring with, as the seals are being opened. Everything has started great. The gospel has been preached. And then there was opposition. There was a reaction, a negative reaction to the gospel. And then people began to, to realize that the words of God began to fade. But now we come to a moment when this writer is representing dead now, this pale horse and the original in the Greek actually does not use a color to represent this rider. It represents a stage and a body. And the word that is used in the, is the word chloros. Can you say chloros? What does that sound like? Like chlorine, right? Like chlorine. What color is chlorine? It's like yellowish, greenish, depends how intense it is. But in reality, chloros was a, a description of a, of a corpse that was decomposing. So what he's saying here is that this horse, it's decomposing. It's dead. Now what happens, if you notice in verse 8, in the second part, it says his rider, his rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him. Now, the intensity of the horses is increasing. And the negative intensity, more accurately said. Because now we come to a, a dead point. Now, this in, intensification places the people of God in a difficult situation. Because it means that even through the moment when it seems like everything is death, Jesus can still bring people to life. Now, death, as it says right here, that death is represented this horse. Well, death is never a good thing. And when it says death, it's dead. I mean, it doesn't represent anything, anything else. Death is dead. That's one of those clear words in Revelation. Right? There's no, there's no hidden meaning behind it. Now, what could be confusing for some of us is the, the following word, Hades. Now, it could be confusing for some of us because of our experience with, with literature, because of our experience with watching movies, because of our experience with, with past uh, spiritual experiences or cultures or traditions. See, in the old Greek mythology, Hades was the place where the dead lived. Now, it's kind of an oxymoron, right? 
But that was a place where, where the dead abode. So we have a situation that along this horse is death and everything that it represents. That is not a message that we use for hope, is it? That is not a message that we want to hear. However, it's something that John was presented with because it was important for the people of God, for those faithful remaining in the history of the world to understand that there's only, there is only one direction for those who reject the gospel. Because it isn't getting better. In fact, the world would get worse. Now, but there's another piece of information given to us that gives us a, a little beam of hope. And it says that death and Hades were given power. Now you might say, well, if, if they're getting power, how is that giving us hope? Because power was given to them. That means that somebody had more power that gave them power. In fact, Death and Hades do not have total power because the only one who has total power is God. So the fact that they receive power, the power was given to them, it means that they do not call the last play. But the last play has been called for them. So the message of the pale horse, of this fourth seal, is a message of warning. Warning. Now, warning of what? War, war, warning of the realities of the Christian people in our time. Warning that there's a threat of permanent exclusion from mercy when we choose to reject the gospel. A warning that there is a judgment and that God is intensifying that judgment towards the end. Warning that there is an exposure to spiritual death when we move away from the message of Christ. And warning that the ultimate consequence of the rejection of the gospel is death. And now that you're all sad, let me tell you something about this. The Old Testament, as we've been discovering through this, through this study of Revelation 6 and 7, Is based on the Old Testament. The book of Revelation was written by John, and John was a Jewish man who learned the Hebrew Scriptures. So his perspective, his world is based on what the Old Testament, as we know it today, said. So John describes what he sees in his visions, specifically in these horses, scenes that happen and are described in the Old Testament. Specifically in the ancient prophets. So, for this scene, he goes, takes us back to the book of Ezekiel. And there in your notes you have it, Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 13. And it says, Son of man, if a country sins against me my, by being unfaithful, and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off his food supply and send famine upon it and kill his people and their animals. Now, the book of Ezekiel, it gives a grim reality and a grim consequence 
for the people of Israel who were chosen as the people of God but had already rejected God and had been following idols and other gods of the surrounding nations. And now God is telling them through Ezekiel, guys, you have to pay attention. This is the warning because there's going to be a moment when you have been so far away from God that God is going to have to cut you off. So Ezekiel is giving the people of Israel a warning similar to what John is giving us today in this four, with the fourth seal of Revelation. Now in verse 21 of chapter 14 of Ezekiel, right there in your notes also. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. How much worse will it be when I send against Jerusalem my four dreadful judgments? Does that sound familiar? What we have been studying? Sword and famine and wild beast and plague to kill its men and their animals. Now the book of Ezekiel gives us a, a, a picture of what John is thinking about when he's demonstrated or he's shown the vision of the fourth rider. But also, these messages are not unique for the Old Testament. In fact, as we discovered a, a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus gave his own revelation in, in Matthew chapter 24. And we called it the, I don't know if anybody remembers, but we called it the synoptic revelation. So in there, we'll find these consequences that Ezekiel is talking about. The first consequence that Ezekiel is talking about and that Jesus explains in Matthew 24 is that there's going to be a political consequence. And in Matthew 24, verse 6, it says, You will hear wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Now, if that is happening, why shouldn't we be alarmed? Because God is allowing this, but he, and He is in control. He says, that is going to happen. That is the reality of, our, of the world that we live in. And that is a consequence of sin. That is the consequence of experiencing death because of separation of God. And it says such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So there is a consequence in the political arena. The second consequence that Jesus talks about is that there is going to be a social consequence. In fact, in the second part of verse 7 of Matthew 24, it says, There will be famines. There will be famines. It'll be bad if it was only famine. But he's talking in plural. And we know, we know today... In fact, for decades, we've been thinking about the famines in Africa. But now we have famines in America. We have famines in our country, in our city. And the social consequence is so bad that we have be become, even as Christians, immune to that. Because we see it now as part of the common life as normal and there's people dying of hunger in our backyard because of sin the social consequences are occurring but there will be also physical 
In Matthew 24, verse 26 and 27 says, For if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the, with the coming of the Son of Man. And you're thinking about right now, what does that have to do with the physical? You know that more than ever, today there's people in our world in our city, in our nation, that believe more on vampires and their existence than on God? In fact, there is another word for physical. It's called metaphysical. Now you're like, oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because see, part of the death of the spiritual experience of the people of God is that we need to have a spiritual connection with something. And when it is not with God, it's going to be with something else. That is a fact. We were created to have personal experiences, personal relationship in a spiritual arena. That is how God made us. And when we are not connected to the real spiritual creator, we will connect to something else. And if we think about it, all these connections represent death. So this physical consequence is the reality in our world today. Another consequence, it's in the natural world. Did I put that before? All right. The natural. There will be earthquakes, Matthew 24, 7 says, in various places. <laughs> if you're from California, you're like, oh, that's not bad. I lived in Mexico City when... Uh, the earthquake in Mexico City hit in 85. Uh, my mom was so scared that if we were to sit next to her or bump the bed where she was sitting, she would think, oh, it's, it's an earthquake. So we, we moved to, the, to L.A. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's going to be Natural disasters. Now, crazy thing, crazy thing is that when we look at the weather, the weather is changing. It's not getting warmer. It's getting colder. And it's getting warmer. And it's getting wetter. And it's getting drier. Depends where you live. It's, the weather is changing. It's not the same as it used to be. See, I remember that on October 26th, which is my birthday, by the way, uh, always rained. Always rained. Every year it rained. But now it's not raining anymore. I'm not complaining. But I'm just saying, the weather is changing. I don't remember having rain for so many weeks in a row here. At least in 30-some years. But it's changing. The weather is changing. In the natural world, the consequences of sin, because now we can trace them. We, can, we, we know why the weather is changing. We know what our technology, we know our, what our inventions and what gases and all the things that we are producing as humans is causing to our nature. It's a consequence of our separation from God. 
I just need to tell you how important this is for God because in Revelation it says that God will destroy those who destroy the earth. So recycle, support the young adult people. There's cans and don't put food in there, okay? Just recycling bottles. I found a pizza the other day in there. That's not recyclable. Even though you might leave it for the next day, it's not recyclable. Pizzas are not recyclable. And the, and the next consequence is that there's a spiritual consequence. Spiritual consequence. In Matthew 24, 10 says, at the, at the time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. You know that the greatest attacks on Christians are done by former Christians? You can see it online. You can Google anything about Christianity and you will find a website that, is, that has an attack in it. Because that is a fact. That is another consequence of this. But see, these events, these consequences, are not to punish the people of God. We're not designed to punish the people of God. But they are designed to awaken our need for God. And to make us realize where we are and where we need to be. Now, the seals have, number one, a historical, a historical significance. Because we understand that the seals kind of depict the history uh, of Christianity from the moment when Jesus resurrected and the passion of the first century Christians and how it began to change through time until our days. But at the same time, they represent a practical experience of those of us who live here today. Because all of us have gone through those stages. There's been a moment in our time, in our life, that we accepted God and we were on fire. But then, an opposing force, an opposing event, an opposing comment, an opposing behavior from somebody against us attacked us. And we made a decision to remain on fire or to begin to dwindle. For some, we remain strong or somewhat held to Jesus through the storm. For some, gave way to the opposition and spiritually begin to die. So there's a promise. And the promise, family, the promise, oh, is that Jesus will restore everything. And yes, you can say amen. Now, let's go back to Ezekiel. Because as we begin with, with Ezekiel, we'll go back to it. Because at the same time that it shows death and, and the consequences, it also gives some kind of hope. And Ezekiel in chapter 12, talking about what will happen to the people of Israel, because they had gone so far away from God, and the consequences that they will experience will be so detrimental that, in fact, they were going to be taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. And you remember the story of Daniel in chapter 1, that they were taken from Jerusalem to, into Babylon. And it says in verse 16, Ezekiel chapter 12, but I will spare a few of them. Now, this is hopeful. I will spare a few of them. We have a term for that in today's Christianity, remnant. 
those who will remain faithful even through death and darkness. And it says, I will spare a few of them from the sore, famine, and plague, so that in the nations where they go, they may acknowledge all their detestable practices. Now, let me, let me go back a little bit because this is, this is pregnant with many and power. When it says right there, acknowledge, in fact, the Hebrew term for that is sapar. It, it is to count. To count. And this is not counting of keeping record. It's counting as if you were waiting on a scale. Is that how you say it? Waiting on a scale? Wait on a scale? Putting weight on a scale? Are you with me? No? Okay. Now, this is, this is in Ezekiel. But, and it's making reference to the experience of Daniel. Now, in Daniel chapter 5, and we, as we studied last week, when, when, when Belshazzar the king is having his party, remember? The writing on the wall. Well, it's using the same term. Your actions were counted, and you were found wanting. So the people, the faithful people of God, example, Daniel, his friends, they were some of those few who were taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. They were trusting in God. And as they were experiencing their life and demonstrating who they worship and how they worshiped and who they prayed to, they didn't fall. They didn't fall to the culture and the teachings of the Babylonians. And they remained faithful. Their experience, in contrast with the experience of those who were opposed to them, was a counterbalance on the scale. The scene of the four horses is a warning of what will happen to those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And why am I saying this again? Because that's the message. It's a warning. Now let's go back to Revelation 1, verse 18. I am the living one. This is Jesus speaking. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I don't know if you notice, but the consequence of those who re re reject the gospel is that they will experience death and end up in Hades. But Jesus is saying, hey, I was dead, but now I'm alive. Was Jesus dead at one point? Was he alive? Another, he's alive now. So he says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. The only one who's done that is him. Now, and this is so powerful. I mean, think about this for a second. Think about this for a second. And, and this is evidence of the reality of Jesus. See, the disciples heard Jesus saying, you know, there's going to be a point, guys, when they're going to take me. I'm going to die. But don't worry, because on the third day I will resurrect. Jesus said that to the disciples several times. It's registered in the Gospels. Now, to say that you're going to die, well, you know, everybody will at one point before Jesus comes back. But to say that you will resurrect and you pull it off, that means a lot. That is why the disciples were willing to die for Jesus. Because he was the only one who... 
went into death and had the key to come back. Because Jesus has the power to do it. He's the only one worthy of going into death and coming back out. So we have to remember two things. Death and Hades are under the control of God. And one day, death and Hades will end. Revelation 20.14 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That lake of fire is the second death. Now let me explain this to you if this is the first time you hear these this terms. We today are ex waiting for the return, return of Jesus. But before Jesus comes, and to the moment, until the moment Jesus comes, there has been people who have died. That's the reality of this, the, the world of sin that we live in. But it, within those people who have, there has been people who have been faithful to Jesus... And people who have not. When Jesus returns, when Jesus returns, he will call by name. And this is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He will call by name those who accepted the power of the gospel. That resurrection would allow those who believed in Jesus and are living, and those who believed in Jesus and were resurrected to meet the Lord in the air and go to heaven. After that, when this group arrives to heaven, there's going to be a period of time. Exactly, we don't know. We call it the millennium. But you know, a thousand years for God are like one day. And one day like a thousand years. When you're eternal, time does not matter. But it's going to be a time long enough for us, the redeemed, to go to heaven and ask Jesus our questions. Like, God, why is my neighbor here? Every time the bull went over the fence, he returned it with a hole. Has anybody seen Pastor Bikini? He was so cool. Why isn't he here? Has anybody seen him? You know, all our questions will be answered during that time. When all our questions are answered, we'll return to earth. And you're like, why are we returning? Because the process is not over yet. You see, when those who resurrect and those who believed in Jesus and were alive go with Jesus on earth, those who didn't believe and die remain dead. And those who didn't believe and were alive die with the shine of His glory on the second coming. So when we return to earth, the devil is alone on this planet. Because everybody else who remain is dead. So now what happens? When we return, the devil is given another chance. Not to, get re to be redeemed, but to do his thing. What is the devil's business? Confuse people. That's his business. He began with Eve and Adam. He, he didn't lie. He confused them. That's his business, to confuse. Because he is the father of confusion, the father of lies. 
Now, when we descend from heaven, those who were dead because they didn't believe in Jesus and those who died because they didn't believe in Jesus on the second coming will resurrect. And the devil would say, hey, guys, look, isn't that city beautiful? Because the new Jerusalem is coming down. Revelation chapter 20, 21. The devil at that moment will try to convince, convince them to take over the city. But at that moment, at that moment, I don't know how it's going to happen. But at that moment, God will show them all the moments where he tried to call them back to him and they rejected him. I don't know if it's going to be with an iPad. I don't know if it's going to be a big screen. I don't know if it's going to be audio, video. I don't know. But I know that in their minds, they will remember all the moments where Jesus called them. When Jesus seeked them. When Jesus looked for them. They, and they rejected him. At that moment, they will say, Jesus is truly the Lord. So at that moment, the redeemed will have already proclaimed Jesus as the Lord. The unfallen, like the other angels who didn't took part of the deception of the devil in heaven. And then the non-redeemed together will say at one voice, because every eye will see him, every tongue will proclaim that Jesus is truly the Lord. Now. Right there and then, fire will descend from heaven. And those who acknowledge that it was their choice not to trust on Jesus will be part of that fire along with death and Hades. Verse, 20, verse 14, Revelation 20. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire the lake of fire is the second death. And we have another name for that. Hell. We believe that hell is not a place. It's an event. An event where those who rejected Jesus, who did not acknowledge when they had the opportunity as they were living to accept Jesus as Lord, will end. Along with death, the devil and his angels. And that is called the second death. So as sad as it might be that because of the consequences of sin, some of us will experience the first dead, we have hope that if we trust in, when we trust in Jesus Christ, we will not have to experience the second death. And Ezekiel continues in verse 36, verse 28. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call from the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. That is a promise. That those who believe, those who continue to accept Jesus as Lord, they will not experience those judgments that were placed upon those who didn't believe. You see, in Caesarea, in northern Israel, there is this cave. This cave is in a place 
that uh, it was named originally uh, after the, god, the Greek god Pan, and it was called Panis. When the Muslims took over, they couldn't pronounce the P, so they call it Banis, and Banis is the name that it has today. But up in that cave, up in that cave, according to the Greek tradition, because this place up in the north is where the tribe of Dan was located in the Old Testament. They became idol worshippers. They were part of the, of the Israel part, not the Judah uh, kingdom. They were part of the idolatrous part of the people of God. So in this place, along the walls, there's niches where they place their idols and they went to worship. In that cave, that big cave right there, it was called Hades, the gate of Hades. It was at that place where Jesus took his disciples and he asked them a question. And he, as he was teaching to his disciples, he asked them a question, who do the people say that I am? And the disciples responded, well, some people believe that you're Elijah. Some people believe that you're a prophet. And then Jesus asked them again, and who do you think that I am? Peter responded, Jesus, you, you, you are the, the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And it is at that moment, in that same place, when Jesus responded to Peter. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or son of Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed it to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The rock is not Peter. The rock, the foundational rock, it was the truth that Peter had said that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. On that truth was the church to be built upon. And it completes the verse by saying, And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In other words, when our life is founded, when our life is cemented on the truth that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah, death has no power against us. Death has no, no clench around us because Jesus is in control even of death and Hades. So the message, a warning, is based on love. The love that God has placed on each one of His children so that one day we can be with Him and we will never be separated by death. Because at the end of time, at the end of time, death will be no more. But Jesus will be forever.